0: Well, we have had some fantastic weather all week in Ireland, and then comes Sunday, and it is dreary, which actually fits really well, because uh, we're going to start things off with uh, something a little dreary. We're going to be talking about incarceration, just some good old-fashioned prison talk to start things off. Now, it's interesting to me what we, as humans, have chosen as punishment for wickedness, Like, we punish someone who commits murder, for example, by taking away their freedoms, taking them out of normal society and away from their loved ones for an extended period of time. That's interesting. And there's an even further form of punishment for someone who gets in trouble while in prison that I want us to talk about. Solitary confinement. For the wicked, amongst the wicked, The worst punishment that we can come up with for a human being is to lock them in a room by themselves. Think about that. Isolation from people is our worst form of punishment. Here, listen to a couple quotes about this. Martha Beck said, Solitary confinement is the worst kind of imprisonment we can inflict on fellow humans. Without the bridge of communication connecting you to other human beings, you can't share your burdens, can't receive comfort, can't confirm that you still belong. Silence is the abyss that separates you from hope. Gary Chapman, Something in our nature cries out to be loved by another. Isolation is devastating to the human psyche. That is why solitary confinement is considered the cruelest of punishments. One more. I found solitary confinement the most forbidding aspect of prison life. There is no end and no beginning. There is only one's mind, which can begin to play tricks. Was that a dream, or did that really happen? One begins to question everything. Nelson Mandela. Now, for many of us, I'm guessing that there's a lot of your experience of life, the last 18 months, living in isolation, that you can relate to some of this. And here's my question. If total isolation is the worst form of punishment for humans, what does that say about us? Like, what does it say about what we are made for? If total lack of community is our worst punishment, does that not say that God at least made us for community? That community is an integral part of God's design for our livelihood and joy? Now, I realize I'm preaching to the choir a bit here. Anyone alive in the last year and a half is like, yeah, we, we know, Will. <laughs> Isolation stinks. We need people. But right now, we're in this kind of awkward time and space as a church where things aren't normal yet, and yet restrictions are lifting. And we need to begin thinking again about community. Praying, thinking, working towards God restoring this gospel community to what we're called to in the scriptures. Which is why this morning we'll be in Acts 2 to talk about the kind of kingdom community or gospel community that God calls us to as a local church. There's a ton to fit in. This probably should be three sermons, and I'm cramming it into one, and I'm going to attempt to ask and answer three questions. What is the kind of gospel community God calls us to? Why should we be devoted to this kind of gospel community? And how do we create this kind of gospel community? So the what, why, and how of community. We'll pray, go through the text, and then I'll try to answer those. So let's pray. Father God, I thank you for this people. I thank you that you made a people here in Galway. This community of your believers, whether we are a member or a guest here this morning, God, you've called us here. I just thank you for that. We know that where two or more are gathered in your name, there you are among us. And so, like Jason prayed, we again come to you as needy people, dependent on your spirit, to stir in our hearts and do something. So help us to see your word correctly and respond to it. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, to help us understand our text, let's uh, just refresh ourselves on the story that's taking place in the book of Acts. So, the story of Acts is, it's really the story of the Holy Spirit acting through the apostles in the early church to begin the spreading of the kingdom. It begins with the risen, resurrected Jesus, ready to ascend into heaven, and he gives the apostles this command and promise, stay and wait. So, like he was talking to a group of puppies, it's stay, wait, wait for the Holy Spirit to come. Stay in Jerusalem, wait for the promised Holy Spirit whom you will be baptized in. All right, so the disciples, like good puppies, they listen, but they have a question for him. Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Is this the coming of your kingdom, Jesus? Will it now be restored? That's the question the disciples want to know, and it's the book, or the, the answer that the book of Acts is going to answer. He said to them, It's not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. All right, so Jesus says, it's not for you to know the details, but know that the promise of the Holy Spirit is coming. And when he does, you will be my witnesses to the world. And then Jesus ascends. And in chapter 2, the Holy Spirit comes rushing into the scene in power, filling up all the believers There are tongues of fire. People think they're drunk because they're speaking in foreign languages, and it's just awesome. And then Peter stands up with the apostles and preaches the sermon to begin, all sermons, and 3,000 souls commit their lives to Christ. Now listen, because this is important for us to get, what we see God doing here, as He often does, is He's doing something really big in order to make something really clear. And here is what he's trying to make really clear. The promise of the Holy Spirit and the kingdom have come. You wanted to know if the kingdom is finally going to be restored? Yes. But not how you think. Not with armies or swords or earthly power. The kingdom breaks into the world with God's people filled with the Spirit as they preach the gospel. And through the preaching of the good news of Jesus, God saves souls. That's the kingdom coming in power. And I want us to see that because this validation of the kingdom coming and example of how it comes doesn't end with the preaching of the gospel, but it continues in our text. So let's start at verse 41. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. Now these verses, and the ones to follow, are of massive importance to us. Because just as the Holy Spirit-empowered preaching of the gospel was both the validation and example of the kingdom coming, so here we see the Holy Spirit-empowered church community As both the validation and example of kingdom come. This is the first inside look we have at the early church. And it's meant to show us how the kingdom is established through gospel community. Do we see that? Let's look back at verse 42. What is the thing we see about, the first thing we see about this gospel community? And they devoted themselves. Let's just stop here and think about this word, devoted. What does it mean to be devoted? Uh, I think we saw good examples of this in the Olympics, right? In order for an Olympian to succeed, they have to be completely devoted to their sport. I mean, for years, leading up to one 10-second race, they devote their entire lives to running it as fast as they can. They devote their time, their money, their energy, their relationships, their concentration, what they eat, what they drink, what they think about, all serving this devotion to a race. And because they're devoted, they overcome excuses and obstacles to achieve the thing they're devoted to. I once devoted myself to playing every Legend of Zelda game ever made when I was in secondary school. I willingly gave up sleep, normal meals, money, schoolwork, and any chance at a girlfriend to achieve that goal. But what was this early gospel community devoted to? It wasn't Zelda. We see four things, so let's define them. They devoted themselves to, one, the apostles' teaching. So this would have included all of Jesus' earthly ministry and teaching, as well as that, um, all that Jesus taught them in the 40 days following his resurrection. And here's the thing, nobody had their own written copy of the Bible, or a phone with a Bible app on it. So this necessarily meant that they were coming together to hear from the apostles themselves the words of Jesus. All right, so it was a devotion to the words of Jesus being taught by the apostles together. Number two, they were devoted to the fellowship. The Greek word here is koinonia, often translated fellowship or community. It's linked to the words common, sharing, participation. So elsewhere in the Bible, um, it tells us that we have koinonia with the Son, We have koinonia with the Holy Spirit. We have koinonia with each other. This concept of koinonia, of fellowship or community, is our reality as believers united in Christ. All right, so God has made us one with him through Christ, and because of that, he's made us one with each other. We have right community with God, and now we have right community with each other. All right, and hear this, this one-anotherness is central to the Christian life. And this early church is devoted to living that reality out. Number three, to the breaking of bread. So this most likely includes both the Lord's Supper and casual fellowship meals together. Um, This was much of Jesus' earthly ministry, right? Eating and drinking with people. And at the Last Supper, Jesus sat around the table with his disciples, and he instituted the Lord's Supper. I think we can kind of lose the heart of this a little bit when we only think of that as an institutionalized thing we do on a Sunday morning. This church was devoted to sitting around tables together, breaking bread, and remembering what unites us in Jesus, just like Jesus had done with them. Number four, the prayers. Prayers most likely done both in the temple and in house meetings. And while there were certainly individual prayers happening, this is most, uh, mostly referring to pleading before God in prayer together. Luke uses similar language back in chapter 1 while they were waiting for the Holy Spirit. Verse 14, All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. So devoted in prayer together, knowing that they are completely dependent on God to do what they can't do. All right. So again, they were devoted to the teaching of the apostles, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. All of which are regularly being done Together. All right, so they were devoted to taking their walk with Christ seriously together. Now, verse 44 And all who believed were together and had all things in common. Let's hear that. All who believed were together. Kingdom, community, is not socially classed in any way. Not by our race, not by our social status, not by our intelligence, not by our upbringings, not by our nationality, our common interests, our personalities, or whether we are flesh and blood family. God's kingdom is on display when the full array of His people are in community together. And the one thing That unites this people here. The one thing that makes them a people together is that they are a people submitted to Jesus as their king. It is Jesus and his spirit that now fills them that unites them. And it makes them brothers and sisters in the family of God together. That would have been radical at this time. And it still can be today. And it's not just because of pharisaical, judgmental law. But this altogether communal kingdom family concept conflicted with Jewish values. Values that weren't bad in and of themselves. Let's take, for example, family. Your biological family was of massive importance in the ancient Near East. And close family is a good thing. But Jesus knew that for the Israelites, family often became an idol. And so he spoke against that idol boldly and often. When Jesus' ministry got in the way of his family trying to speak with him, and someone said, Jesus, your mother and your brothers are trying to reach you, he stretched out his hand towards his disciples and said, Here are my mother and my brother's. Whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Listen, I have infinitely more in common with each of you than I do any of my blood family that doesn't know Jesus. So for this church, all who believed were together and had all things in common. Now, having all things in common is mostly connected with verse 45, which says, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing, them, uh, distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. This is not an early form of communism. So all of you communists, calm down. All right, this was an outpouring of this concept of koinonia. Koinonia that they were all in on the kingdom together, invested, which meant they weren't interested in building up their own kingdoms, but the kingdom of God. If someone had a need, then they took offerings. They sold parcels of land if they had to. They gave to the one that was in need. This isn't my money. It's God's money. And we're on the same team. We're in the same family together. So take what you need one heart, one mission, devoted together. Moving along, verse 46. And month by month. Oh, whoops, I think I read that wrong. And Sunday by Sunday. Oh, nope, that's, that's not it either. What's it say? And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, They received their food with glad and generous hearts, day by day, not Sunday by Sunday or month by month or holiday by holiday, day by day devoted to the apostles' teaching to prayer and to fellowship. Now, I wonder how many of us grew up where church was just a Sunday by Sunday or even holiday-by-holiday holiday concept. And you can raise your hands. We're actually allowed to do that. The government hasn't restricted that yet. A <laughs> few of us, all right? Um, man, I know I did. Church was an institution, um, a, a service to suffer through, right? So I suffered through it on Sunday morning, like a champ, and then the rest of the week was mine. But here we see something totally different, don't we? day by day. Now, this doesn't necessarily mean that they were in the temple and their homes every single day, but this clearly is showing that this was regularly part of their daily lives. It was all throughout the week. Gospel community taking place throughout the week. Regularly relying on each other, spending time with one another, as if a part of an intimate family together. And finally, our last verse. Praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Our final point from this text. This community was not an inward-looking club, but an outward-looking missional community. Meeting. They were looking to fulfill the Great Commission through their community. They were a community that, in their identity as a people, were missionaries. They were on mission because the Spirit that now filled them was on mission, to seek and save the lost. And how did they do that? Notice Luke does something striking. By using the same phrase, Luke is linking together two things in this passage. In verse 46, we see day by day the people of God are in each other's lives together in fellowship. And then in verse 47, we see day by day God is adding people into the family. There is a purposeful connection here to how people are coming to faith through day by day community. Now, I find that so encouraging. Yes, Peter has this hugely converting sermon as one of the mighty apostles. But then, how are people coming to faith? Just these other believers joyfully in everyday fellowship with one another, eating meals and praying together, and unbelievers are seeing it. That's it. Like, that's awesome this spirit-filled gospel community becomes infectious to those who God is calling into the kingdom. Alright, so that's, that's our text. These six verses giving us a glimpse of the church being born. Now I want us to zoom out and ask ourselves those three questions. First, what does this kingdom community look like? If I could put what we saw here into one statement for us, I would say this kingdom community or gospel community is the people of God living life on life together on mission for God. The people of God living life on life together on mission for God. Let me break that down. First and foremost, the church is the people of God. It is not a building the church is not a human institution. It's not a thing that we go to on Sunday morning. The church is God's people. And not just individual peoples, but a people. And this people of God are one. Not socially classed in any way. Intimately united as God's family. And now, united as God's people, as we see in our texts the life we now live is devoted to living for Christ and His kingdom. All right, so we are the people of God living life on life together. Living life on life together for this early church community meant firstly living the Christian life together. So they were studying Jesus' words together, praying together, and remembering Jesus over the Lord's Supper. They weren't just a community They were a Christian community, seriously devoted to pursuing Christ together. Secondly, when I say life on life, I mean that they were in each other's lives regularly in the everyday stuff of life, living daily life together, eating meals together, celebrating together, depending on one another for basic needs. Again, not just on Sundays, but day by day. This kind of rich gospel community that we see here is not possible if they only see each other once every other week for an hour. It's just not. Like any relationship, it takes quality and quantity time spent together. Now, what does living life on life look like for us, though? You might say, Will, this is a much different time in the world. Their lives were far less complicated and busy. We have way too much stuff going on to live like this. If we think of this as just another thing to juggle in our lives, like, all right, hey, we got family, we got friendships, we have our career, we have chores to do, we have our leisure, we have school activities, and now somehow I got to fit more time in with, with people? Like, if, if, if we think about it that way, it's always going to seem way too overwhelming to do. Instead, I want you to think about it this way. With all those normal things of life, but with life-on-life community at the center of it. Doing all those normal things of life, but more and more doing them with God's people together. For example, most everyone here eats at least 21 meals a week, Right? probably a few more during COVID. It's already something that you're sitting down to do. Now, what if you invite somebody in to do that with you once a week? It's not taking more time. It's just taking more intentionality and a few more dishes. What about house chores? Like, you need a room painted? Ask a member of the church to do that with you. Now you're getting a job done, but you're also spending time with somebody else. When you first start these things, it seems like more work until it becomes more natural, just like it is with family. Just doing the everyday stuff of life, but together. Now, if that seems overwhelming due to the size of the church, know that it would be impossible to do this with every single person here. Jesus chose 12 people to go really deep with in relationship. That's it, and he's God. All right. That's why many churches find having some kind of small group or community groups to give you the ability to truly live this out with a few families together. And I know GCBC has done small groups in the past. Uh, just to give you like another example of what that could look like, um, one community group that Sarah and I were a part of Um, We did a family meal once a week together, as just us and a few families. And then we'd separately meet together as men and women to to go a little deeper and more um, intimate with each other. And then we would also try to be on mission together. We'd have a people of unbelievers that we were pursuing. And then just find little ways to get into each other's lives more, just living everyday life together. Okay, and then the last... Part of our statement. So the people of God living life on life together on mission for God. This gospel community wasn't just inward focused, but outward focused. They had intentionality to bring in the lost, which meant they weren't just doing these things together, but they were being seen doing these things together. They were most likely, just as Jesus did. Inviting the outcasts of society into their fellowship meals together, for example. When we lose this intentionality as God's people, we lose our purpose as God's people. To make disciples is our mission. And like we saw in our text, God is using his people living in community to bring in the lost. Okay, so here's a simple way that that could look like for us you do those same kinds of things we talked about doing together as God's people and you invite unbelievers into it. Say you're celebrating a birthday with a meal with another family. You invite an unbelieving friend into that. Now you're spending time with with church community, celebrating, and you're bringing someone that doesn't know Jesus yet into that experience. Really simple, but God can work powerfully in that. There's a ton more we could say about that and should say about it, but... We have to move on this morning. Okay, so what is this gospel community? It's the people of God living life on life together on mission for God. And now, why? Why should we be devoted to this? Well, hopefully, I'm making the case that first and foremost, we're devoted to it because we see it in the Bible, We should be devoted to it if we're rightly seeing it as the example god gives us because we want to be a people of the book not doing what society tells us to do or just because it's what we've always done but because the bible tells us to but i'm going to quickly give us three more reasons number one we're devoted to this because it's god's design for his glory we are made to image God and glorify God, and as we see in Genesis 1, we are made in the image of a communal God. Genesis 1, 26, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. So the Godhead said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness because God isn't a lone being but a communal being father, son, and holy spirit. He is in his identity communal. Like he is only the father because he has a son. And he has now made us as his image bearers to reflect him as a people. Like look, it's it's always been his purpose to make a people for himself. And now as a, as a little local church, that's what we are, a little people that reflect God's glory. When we try to do that ourselves, uh, either individually or as our own separate family, we're, we're incompletely and incorrectly reflecting God because He's a communal God. And here's something really cool for you to think about. There has never been Another expression of the body of Jesus like this ever. In the history of the world, this group of people right here, with our stories and giftings and personalities doing life together, is a reflection of God that's never been expressed this way before. Like, that's really cool. Number two, it's for your good. Living in this kind of kingdom community, gospel community, is for your good. Now, if you've never experienced this before, you might not believe me when I say that. As an introvert, I would not have believed it myself if you told me 10 years ago until I experienced it and the Spirit changed me through it. You need to understand, no matter who you are, no matter what your personality is, and and hear me specifically, introverts, God has made you for community. We are designed as God's people to be part of something together bigger than ourselves. When we live isolated lives, we get bent in on ourselves, all right? And we feel unfulfilled and empty because we aren't made for that. There is life and purpose and joy and love that can only be found in community as God's people. Gospel community is also for the good of our walk with Christ. We need to be held accountable with one another by walking in the light with one another. True fellowship is only possible when we are true and honest. 1 John 1, 7-9. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And if you're not in a great place right now, you're probably not jumping up at the opportunity to walk in the light with somebody. I know I'm not because darkness hates the light. But listen, we are not a gotcha club. We, as a church, are co-strugglers coming beside each other for love, for support, for prayer, and for encouragement. Gospel community allows us to be fully known and still fully loved. We all long to be known just as we are and still be accepted and loved and wanted. Not the best version of ourselves, but our true selves. Man, I don't know if any of you relate to this, but <clears throat> there's a thought, I mean, at least I used to struggle with uh, a lot often, that, man, if these people really knew me, they wouldn't want to be around me. If they really knew what I was like the rest of the week, they would know that I'm, I'm not lovable in this community. And if you only show the good parts of yourself on your best behavior Sunday mornings, you will always live with that. But there is freedom and joy found in being fully known and fully loved. True fellowship is found in the light. Reason number three, we are devoted to this because it's God's design for mission. I've already touched on this, so let me just say it another way. In John 17, we see this thing played out where Jesus says, He came to make the invisible God visible. He did that so that God could be known. And then he says something extraordinary, that that's not the end of the plan. The rest of the plan is that when Jesus ascends, he's going to send his Holy Spirit, and his Holy Spirit will then fill his people and make the invisible God visible through the church. Jesus prays that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. So the invisible God made visible through a united gospel community but that doesn't do any good if we're never seen by the world, right? Therefore, gospel community throughout the week in the world is how we live that out. All right, so let's answer our final question. How does this kind of gospel community happen? I'm going to be fairly brief here, one, because I am out of time, Uh, but also because I would love this to be part of an ongoing conversation, I just think that's the only way that we're going to get any traction as we start to come out of the effects of COVID. That thing has done a doozy on us. But I want us to first look at how they did this in the text. All right? As we've seen, this community came about because of an outpouring of what? The Spirit. This rich, joyful, vibrant, intimate, devoted community of God came about because this, the Spirit exploded onto the scene in power and moved in people's hearts. The disciples knew that they were dependent on God for this to happen. When Jesus told them, stay, wait for the Holy Spirit to come, they were expectantly, dependently waiting on God as they devoted themselves to prayer together. All right, so, so one, they were de- uh, dependent on God to do this through prayer. And then second, when this promise of the Spirit came, they were devoted to the goal of gospel community. They all bought in. Devoted together. So I guess first thing we'd have to ask ourselves is, what are we devoted to? Like, let's just say, even if all restrictions were lifted today, right, just news break, it's done. We can just live as we want. Would we be devoted to pursuing Christ seriously in this kind of gospel community? Let me just confess my own weakness here. I came to Ireland with a calling to start a church, which means fostering and being part of this kind of community. And even I am having a hard time diving back into this. Man, it just feels like the wind was knocked out of my sails. I am socially out of shape. And the last 18 months have left me disheartened towards fighting for community. And as someone who regularly wrestles with depression, when I'm in those seasons, man, one of the common lies I hear in my head is, you know what, people are better off without me, so what's even the point of trying? Anyone else relate to that at all? Well, listen, that's a lie. You need other believers in your life, and this is the harder one to believe. Other believers need you, specifically you, in their lives. That is how the body of Christ works. We are dependent on each other, like a body is dependent on organs. Let me point out something about this early church. While this church started with an amazing, seemingly easy explosion of beautiful gospel community, it didn't stay that way. There came lots of infighting and racism and lots of messy stuff. And then the biggest adversity came of it all. In Acts chapter 8, after the stoning of Stephen, it says... There arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. Remember Jesus' promise in the beginning of Acts? You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and Samaria. Yeah, this is the fulfillment of that promise. God's church broken up into a bunch of little churches spread across the region. Adversity that the devil meant for evil, but God meant for the good of the church. In the last 18 months, we have seen adversity. An adversity that has a specifically affected community. What if... God means to use all of what COVID has done to do something new at GCBC. To call us into something even more beautiful, even more full of life, just like He did in the early church. It can be overwhelming. I know it is for me to look at this example in our text right now and say, man, that seems really far off right now. But I would say the same thing about Peter's sermon. I've preached a few sermons, but I'm still waiting for the one where 3,000 souls accept Jesus. I've hit 2,500, but the big three haven't gotten there yet. But listen, that doesn't mean I stop preaching, right? Preaching the gospel is still the example that we follow. In the same way, this gospel community might seem like it's at step Z, and we are starting over again at step A. That's okay. Let's ask what step B looks like. And you know what a really easy step B is? Having someone from the church over for a meal. Man, there's just something about eating food together, isn't there? We can do that now. Not against the law anymore. You don't have to stress out over a big fancy meal, just whatever you'd normally be cooking and have somebody um, invited into that. Maybe it's someone you haven't connected to or connected with for a while, but you both live in the same area. Or maybe you have a couple families over that all live in the same area. I think we can do that. Ask about their story, how they came to trust in Jesus. And look, I'll I'll admit, all I know of GCBC is the COVID version. All right? Uh, So y'all might already have just been nailing this, and I'm totally out of the loop. I don't know. But this is our reality right now. And all I want to do is encourage us and myself that this is worth devoting ourselves to. I know I've given you guys a ton to chew on, so let me just say, if there's, if there's anything I want you to walk away with this morning, and I'm ending on this, I'd want you to walk away just having caught a glimpse of what biblical gospel community can look like. The people of God living life on life together, on mission for God. And then ask, does that look like us as a local church? And if not, can we at least begin to pray about and think about how to make steps towards that? I realize we aren't anywhere near back to normal yet. I mean, my goodness, I still can't see your faces. But right now is the time to begin praying. It's time to begin thinking about God restoring this community back to a biblical gospel community. Because if we don't, what I fear is that we're going to form some very unhealthy, isolating habits as a church that are going to go well past COVID. Instead, My hope and my prayer is that God is using adversity in GCBC to grow us into a community even more full of life. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you. um, Thank you for your word. Thank you for... How sobering it can be, how encouraging it can be. God, I pray for any of us this morning that we're just we're reading that and we're seeing what this people were devoted to and our lives aren't looking like that. God, I pray your spirit would move like smelling salts under our noses and wake us up to taking our pursuit of jesus seriously together it has been disheartening it has been discouraging in so many ways and that's not a mystery to you you know what each one of us has gone through i pray god would you restore hope among us Would you help us to fight for community together again? To silence the lies of the enemies and help us to speak the gospel into each other's lives and be the encouragement of a gospel community that you have designed it to be. God, I thank you for this community. I thank you for the people here. I thank you for the community and love that is here already. God, we are still here. Despite the last 18 months, And that's a testament to your faithfulness. It's a testament to this body of believers. I just pray that you would firm up the ground beneath us. God, and do a new work in restoring us as a community together. And I pray that in Jesus' name, amen.